Our Father, we come before you today. We're going to be looking at your word. And we pray now, give us an ear to hear what the Spirit has to say. Give us an ear to hear what the Spirit has to say. May the voice of eternity speak to us in the clutter and the cacophony and the confusion of our world. Please, please anoint our eyes to behold what you're saying. We come to admit our poverty apart from you. We're poor. We're blind. Uh, we have no riches except in you. Our money is toy money. We're going to leave it all. Even the pharaohs, by the time the thieves broke into the pyramids, they found none of it had transferred. It was still in the pyramid. Father, we're going to leave everything we know. We're going to you. We're going to you. I pray today that your spirit would give us a spirit of loyalty and faithfulness and discernment. We want to give you all that we are with the rest of what's left. We want to give you the glory. You said in the Psalms, ascribe glory to the Lord. Well, Father, I thank you, you're omnipotent. I thank you that all power has been given to your Son, that according to your word, he is preeminent in the church. He's not wringing his hands over Valley Bible Church. He's not wringing his hands over what's happening in the culture. We have a destiny with judgment. We know the nations are being gathered to the Valley of Jezreel, and there you shall take on the nations. The day of the Lord will be awesome, dark, and fearsome. Judgment is coming. But we now, the people you have put on the ark and said the storm's coming, get on the ark. We rejoice that in the midst of a world full of garbage, full of lostness and corruption, you keep saving. You keep revealing yourself. You're our introduction to purity. You're our introduction to cleanness. You're our introduction to wholesome. You're the God that is set apart. There's nothing dirty, nothing dirty, nothing vulgar, nothing corrupt in you we call Father. And for some reason, Father, you wanted us in your family. We've gathered, I pray, before we leave that we will worship you. May God's people worship while they hear the word. That this is not, oh, oh, we just got through the worship. No, no. The word, when God talks, we ought to worship. We ought to listen. We ought to hear what he's saying. Give us, please, Spirit of God. Please do what no preacher can do. Open the heart of the hearer so that they can hear their father talking to them. And his people said, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Second Corinthians 
chapter 11. Uh, for those that are using the Bibles in the pew, it would be page 821. And I can't help you if you're using an iPod. Uh, beginning at verse 1. I hope you will put up with a little of my foolishness, but you are already doing that. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may be somehow led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. But I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super apostles. I may not be a trained speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. And when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, nobody in the regions of Achaia will stop this boasting of mine. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And I will keep on doing what I am doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, as an angel of light, and no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light, is it not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness? Their end will be what their actions deserve. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. The Apostle Paul is being dogged everywhere he goes by Judaizers. That is men from Jerusalem who want to get the churches that he's established. He keeps telling them, these Judaizers, you must keep the law of Moses. It's not enough to put faith in Christ, but you must obey the law. You must have your sons circumcised. You must keep the Sabbath. It's not enough. And they hated Paul. They saw him as a turncoat rabbi that had now begin to propagate the faith that he had persecuted. And so Paul, in this last part of 2 Corinthians, is defending his apostleship, and he's having to, uh, he's even going to 
give you his credentials that he calls foolishness. Why should he even have to do this? But what they did, if we can't get them not to believe the message, let's discredit the messenger. And so he's having to make a defense. And so we have here Paul is now concerned that the majority of the church has repented and returned to following his teaching, but they're still being dogged. They're still being uh, lied to. These Judaizers are working on them constantly. And so he's making a defense, and he's making a plea. And he uses it in a strong metaphor. He said, you are being seduced away from Christ. And I want to protect you from that. I want to look at three things. All Christians are being seduced to be disloyal to Christ. Seduced away from Christ. Two, uh, we are constantly being seduced by a deceiver that goes right to the Garden of Eden. So we are living with deception, always attacking our mind. Whether you know it or not, every day you wake up with a lying voice. Every day you're lied to. You don't even have to meet anyone today in order to be lied to. Just listen to your heart long enough and you're going to hear lies. Lying. Nobody loves me. Nobody appreciates me. Nobody this. I wonder if. And you, once you get through, you probably have told yourself ten lies a day. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Somebody's lying to you all the time. Could be your heart. Could be the devil himself. Uh, you know that person that you keep saying, I can't forgive? Well, who told you not to forgive? Who, who says that lie? It's not Jesus. He said, you ought to forgive them seven times 70 in a day. That's 490 times. How you doing? <laughs> well, I, I can't get over them. What do you mean you can't get over them? Somebody's lying to you. Why do you think they're against you? I know so many people that they get wrong, they, they get wrong relationships or they get out of sorts. And they say, I can't go back to church. Everybody's going to jump on me. Uh, who told you that lie? Did, did you get a letter from all the members saying, come on back, we want to jump on you? Who told you that lie? Somebody's lying. And they're lying all the time. We wake up with it every day. It's a part of living in a fallen world. So I want us to look at the seduction from loyalty to Christ to who the deceiver and what he says. And finally, I'm going to look at three areas he will constantly be lying to you about that you must be sure you know the truth. Three areas. You want to see that. First of all, let's go into this strong language that sounds sensuous because it can be. When we hear the word seduce, we think of it sexually. And, and it's certainly used that way to seduce, to engage in sexual conduct. That's one of the dictionary definitions. And I think when we hear seduction, and quite frankly, this is what he's talking about. But it's on a spiritual level. Let me 
first give you the background of betrothal in the Bible, the Old Testament right on through. He said, I've betrothed you to one. I've spoken to you as a pure virgin to Christ. It goes this way. If you read the Old Testament, the parents, the parents arrange the wedding of their daughters and sons. The parents pick the bride. The parents pick the groom. We just had a couple uh, move here from India. They're still used to arrange uh, wedding, and some of you from Africa, you used to arrange the mom and dad. All right, we make an arrangement. Uh, this boy for my girl. You can have my girl. All right. Two, what are we going to do? We got to strike a financial bargain because money was always exchanged. Dowries were exchanged. A price was set by the father for his daughter because I'm going to lose a good servant around the house. I'm losing a daughter, so I want you to make it up to me financially. And even the bride's family would give a dowry and give money. So we have parents pick who the, the children are going to marry. We have finances put on the table. We have a covenant made. The betrothal period lasted for a year. And the father would say this to the family. I give you my guarantee that I will watch over and see that my daughter is pure and will not be seeing any other suitors or any other men for this betrothal period. I, I pledge you my loyalty. If she does, we can stone her. And if she does, you can get your money back that we made in the bargain because it's a highly financial arrangement. But I give you my pledge that my daughter will be presented to you a pure virgin by the wedding night. And according to Deuteronomy, the parents of the groom could demand the sheets from the wedding night to give proof that she was a virgin. If there was no blood on the sheets, the deal's off. This was a biblical betrothal marriage arrangement. It was serious stuff. It was financial. The girl could lose her life. The dad lose the money. The community be shamed. This is kind of the dilemma that happened when Mary came up pregnant. Because in the Jewish system, a betrothal was considered marriage. You were considered married if you were engaged. There could be no sexual relations, none of that, not even another suitor. Or you, there was none of the uh, Western uh, morality of our day. You sleep with them whether you marry them or not. Not in this culture. And Paul is reaching right in. I came and I presented the gospel to you there at Corinth. These people have become believers in Christ. So as a father, feeling as a father towards you, you Corinthian Christians, I have pledged you to Christ, and I am going to do everything I can to protect the purity of the bride-to-be, the Corinthian church. 
I don't want, and I'm afraid they're seductive, seductive suitors trying to allure you away from your loyalty to Christ. You see, the church has been engaged to Christ now for 2,000 years. Uh, the consummation is coming at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So for 2,000 years, he's had an engaged bride. There it will be at the marriage supper. We become the queen for all eternity. We will sit on the throne. But what's the battle? There's other voices, other voices in the meantime. I don't want anything to corrupt you, it says, from your... Uh, let, look at the word there. Uh, I'm afraid, as Eve was to do, that you would be corrupted from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And the word sincere there means singleness of purpose. That... that uh, I, I come up with a little corny line I say to people once in a while. I'm not lying to you this time. Is that a duplicitous statement? I'm not lying to you now. And you're thinking all about, well, man, what has he lied to me about in the past? Because I'm using duplicity, insincerity. And, and what does every parent, any dad, want to teach his young girls and young daughters in the dating years? Honey, watch out for the guy that I love you, love you, baby, when he really wants to sleep with you. He doesn't love you. That's why us men all go zonkers when our daughters want to date. Oh, he says he loves me. Oh, honey, don't buy you leave that lie. That lie's been told thousands of times. And many a girl has gone out with the wrong guy because I love you, baby. Oh, you don't either, you big liar. You don't love her. You're just full of lust. Right. You want to use her. Right. And if she gets pregnant, you're going to drop her. Right. Stop lying. The lies keep going. They keep going. And so here's Paul setting. I, I have these false teachers that say they're super apostles. And they say, I'm an imposter. They say, I don't know how to preach well. I'm not a good speaker because, see, the Greeks, they loved rhetoric. They loved elocution. Well, Paul was a rabbi. He wasn't trained in Greek rhetoric. When he says, I'm an untrained speaker, he's saying, I haven't learned to talk like uh, Socrates and the philosophers on Athenian Hill. But guess what? I've got knowledge. I, I'll tell you the truth, but it might not be have three poems in it and a high-pitched voice and all this style of oratory, but I told you the truth. See, even in our day, more people are in love with style than they are substance. Oh, I like the way he preaches. Well, okay, how did he preach? Well, he did this and did that. Well, could I ask you another question? Yeah. What did he say? What? what? Hey, are you taking on him? I said, what did he say? I know he smiles better than me. I know he's got a flair. I know this. What is the truth? It's amazing how you can package manure. What is the substance? Substance. 
Well, we use that very phrase, don't we? Let me be blunt. Don't BS me. What are we saying? Don't tell me a bunch of rubbish that's not true and tell it as the truth. You're BSing me. What we're saying, you're saying a bunch of rubbish, a bunch of garbage. You've not said, not said the truth. The truth shall set you free, not a preacher's style. Amen. The truth. And so he said, I may be an untrained speaker in the Greek world, but I told you the truth when I came to you. Then he said, who is doing this deceiving? Where is this coming from? And I would say to you, it would be wonderful if you always read Genesis 3. It's the seedbed of all of our problems. Going right back to paradise, going back to a perfect environment, a perfect couple. How can you blow it when everything's perfect? You can be seduced. You can be wooed away. Let me give you the, the dictionary meaning of seduction. One, to lead away from duty, to lead you away from duty, from accepted principles. Then it's used sensuously in the sexual realm, but it has the idea of to entice, to beguile you away from what you ought to be doing. The, the beguiling voice said, so where does he go? He takes us back to Eden. Everything's going fine. Yeah, it's the one time all you women had a perfect husband. The first and last. <laughs> and, and then, you, well, I had a perfect wife. A perfect environment. It couldn't get any better, could it? No. Paradise not good enough? Walking with God. You didn't need to confess sin. You didn't have to, you didn't have a cell phone. You were really in touch with God. And then all of a sudden, another voice. They'd only heard one voice up to Genesis 3. And all of a sudden, another voice is talking to them. And because it was an unfallen world, they weren't even afraid of serpents. They weren't afraid of any of creation. Uh, Eve didn't think it any big deal that a serpent could talk. She, I mean, she had never been told they can't talk. And all of a sudden, he starts saying, uh, you know what? I don't think this place is enough for you. You deserve a little bit more. And, and she's carrying on and says, what do you mean? You know, you ought to be your own God. You, my lands, you shouldn't have to take orders from anybody. Uh, you, you ought to follow me. I'm going to make you more religious than you've ever been. And matter of fact, you'll be your own God. How's that? Well, I never thought of it before. God was pretty good up to now. I, I thought God was enough. Oh, no, no, you, no, uh, there is a, a way you could step up. You see, the two unfallen creatures we have in all of history, Satan and man and woman in the garden, they were deceived by saying you could go up. Satan said, I'm going to put my throne above the throne of God. And the temptation in the garden wasn't sex, wasn't money, was not. It was Godhood. You can become autonomous. Uh, matter of fact, 
Satan is talking. I think uh, God is keeping you from a lot you could enjoy. And the only way you can get it is by eating this fruit. Because you're, you're not complete. There's things out there that you have yet, the knowledge of good and evil, all you, you need to experience it for yourself. Don't be taking God's word on it. You need to taste it for yourself. Nobody's going to believe that. Everybody has believed it. You know, I, I, I'm amazed at our pride. We act like we're not gullible, and we've all been deceived. We started out deceived. Ephesians said we were deceived and our minds were darkened to understanding. We didn't even believe the gospel. And you say, how can anyone reject the gospel? Say, well, why did you? You were deceived. You didn't know Jesus would be so wonderful. You didn't know. Did you know? Let me say this. Uh, I was just talking to the Lord this morning. He says, you know what, Lord? You're not a burden to serve. Thank you, Kevin. You're not a burden to serve. Is it, is it hard to serve God? Man, you're anemic. I said, is it hard to serve God? It's hard to go to hell. The way of the transgressor is what's hard. To serve this God, forgive me of my sins. I have you there every day. You'll never forsake me. You keep me. You may, Oh, it's so hard being a Christian. No, no, no. You would have had arthritis whether you were a Christian or not. <laughs> you get headaches whether you're a Christian or not. That's not Christianity. But he said, to those who love him, his commandments are not a burden. He's not a hard. When you love them, they're not hard to obey. So, we've got a bride that's engaged. And Paul says, I'm fighting to protect your purity, that you quit being loyal to Christ in your heart. You're being picked off, and your mind's being divided. And no, no wonder, because the serpent is loose on the race, and I'm afraid that he's beguiling you, he's lying to you through these false apostles, and you're going to be allured away, and he's going to deceive you, and there's three areas he's going to go after, three areas. Look what he says here. Verse 4, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit, and I would take that as a capital S, I think it's Holy Spirit, a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough, you just sit there, smile, amen, and sounds good. Man, it sounds good to me. You, oh, man, you can talk. Man, you can preach. You sure can talk. Matter of fact, you're talking me out of Christ. You're talking me out of the Spirit, and you're talking me out of the gospel, and you are a smooth-talking dude. And what are you sitting there amening it for? Why are you allowing yourself to be beguiled and deceived? Let's look at it. How, 
How was this voice of these uh, Judaizers? You, he's lying to you, and he, they're presenting you a different Christ than the one Paul presented. Well, you read 1 Corinthians 1. He said, I came to you preaching the foolishness of the cross. His preaching wasn't foolish, his manner, his style. The content was foolish. The content of what I delivered to you is considered foolish by the Greeks and an insult to the Jews. Jews want signs, and the Greeks demand sophistry, and they demand elocution, and they demand a philosophical debate with one of the great minds out of Greece. And he said, when I came, I preached the foolishness of God, and that is that God could be crucified, that God could be buried, that God could be raised. The foolishness of the cross, I know it insults you because all hero stories ends with the hero winning, not getting killed. And our hero got killed. That's what I preached to you. He had to be killed to be the hero. I preached to you a Christ that was truly God. He's not what these false apostles said. Ah, He's a nice guy, but he was a rabbi, and he, he bailed out on us. Uh, he used to teach the law of Moses. No, we taught you this. Jesus Christ is enough. It is Christ alone that saves. And he said he'll be deceived in that area. He's working on you to beguile you from that faith. Two, He's going to deceive you in the area of the Spirit. He's going to question, you, I, we're not, you can't have the Holy Spirit. Why? Galatians 3, who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you? Who has deceived you? Who has come in and told you, Galatians, you have the Holy Spirit? Because the Spirit comes by keeping the law. Ah, read in Galatians. The Spirit comes by walking in the power of the flesh. Uh, you can't just be getting the Spirit. You don't have the Spirit. He said, the Spirit came by the hearing of faith. When I believe this Christ, his gift to his bride, the down payment to the bride from the Father was, I'll give everyone who puts trust in my Son, I'll give you my Spirit. And I won't give you a little bit of the Spirit, half of the Spirit. I'll give you all the Spirit, different gifts, but all of the Spirit. Every born-again child of God, you've got all the Spirit you can ever have. He may not have all of you, but you've got all of Him. And you may not be a tongue talker. That's what the Corinthians got into, unless you have certain gifts. I grew up in teaching and said, the only evidence that you really got the Spirit is you've got to talk in tongues. Or the only evidence that you've really been immersed into Christ, they sincerely believe that from Acts 1 on the day of Pentecost and Acts 2 and everything. And, hey, the church was being born in Acts. It's being born. The Spirit was given. They're, they're coming from an old dispensation. Now the new covenant starts with the Spirit being poured out. And guess what? 
Even Presbyterians get it. Even Baptist. Woo, that's a great word, huh? And Pentecostals. And Mennonites. And Lutherans. Anyone who has accepted Christ gets the down payment money of the Spirit. You don't need to keep the law. You don't need to study Moses. Moses, you don't save me and you don't sanctify me. I'm not under any part of the law. I'm under grace. I'm under the Spirit. The law has no place to get me. It will tell me I'm fallen and I'm ruined and I can't keep it, but it can't save me. Read Galatians. Read Romans. And they come in and they lie to you about the gospel. It'd be interesting if I hand out a sheet of paper to all of you right now and ask you to stake to me the gospel. Could you do that? Do you know the gospel? What does the word gospel mean? Good news. What's the good news? That once you believe Christ... There's still 10 other things you need to do. Because Christ is not enough. Christ is not enough. The gospel is not enough. Anathema, anathema. If I or an angel from heaven came down here and we started a Bible conference with an angel from heaven and he started saying, you've got to do something besides believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Let him be accursed. You know, we've been hearing such great preaching on the gospel and I thought as soon as I come back, I sound as negative as could be because I'm dealing with the text. I'm sorry that he dealt with this subject. I just pick up where God left off. But guess what? I pastor a flock. I know a man in this church, been a member for years. I just heard that he gave up the faith. Uh, you ought to pastor and see people picked off all the time. Or, or you see uh, our young people going off to college. Oh, man, it's the sweats every, for me, Every September is the sweats. When I see our young people going, I think, will they come back a believer? Will they come back a believer? Because they're going to be lied to unless it's a Christian school. and Christian. They're going to be lied to for nine months. I think of Wayne Moore telling me that he became a believer early in, in his 20s. And when he was at UC Davis, and he's going to do a biology, microbiology track. And the prof, as he asked, he said, well, what's this? To? He said, well, I'm a Christian. Good, sincere. And he said, well, okay. And they said, and I'm a creationist. The guy looked at him and said, I'm going to make sure you take every class we've got that is thoroughly evolutionary so you can get your mind back. Now, how would you like to go through eight years of schooling that every class is aimed at getting you to deny God as creator. That's a lot of pressure. That's the intellectual pressure, the same pressure then to be pure. Listen to our kids today. Hey, Jesus, is he enough? Well, I do need a boyfriend. 
that's okay. People do get married. But you'll find out even marriage isn't enough. Marriage was never designed to fill the innermost gap of your heart. You see, it's wonderful to love your children, to love your wife, to love your... It's wonderful to be in love and to have loved ones. But once they're elevated to this point of saying, you fill the gap in me, I can make it if I have you. Now they've become your idol. Now I got to have the Lord Jesus. And then all of his gifts, whatever they may be, children, marriage, relationships. But what's the seductive voice saying? Be your own person. Set your own rules. Don't be under uh, old guiding principles from the Bible. Be seduced. Listen to me. We've had a sexual revolution in the 60s. You need to join the party. We don't care if you get pregnant. We don't care if you abort. We don't care if you get diseased. We don't care if you get wasted. You need to have a good time. And of course, we're too smart to buy that lie. Who are we kidding? The whole culture's bottom. Let's party on the deck of the Titanic before it goes. But, but it's going to be, it's going to sink. All your dreams. And so here, the seductive voices you've got to deal with every day, how are you able to know which voice is talking to you? Have you ever listened to a lie so long that you finally conclude it's the truth? I kept hearing that the moon was made out of cheese, so it must be. <laughs> Lying and deception, it never gets more true. It's a lie. And I would say to you, Christ, the Spirit, the Gospel, do, are you sure about the Christ you put your faith in? Is he the Christ of Scripture are you, do you need a Buddha? Do you need a, a, a mantra? Do you need a, a shaman? Do you need some other philosophy? Is there somebody on campus that is a wow speaker, but an atheist and an agnostic and hates the faith? Who will enable you to put through the grid truth? When you hear all the televangelist guys out there, do you ever put them through the grid and all the time they're talking, you're saying, what are they saying? Not how, not how big the church is or how good the music is. I had a woman years ago, play, her son was playing basketball with my grandson, and uh, we were talking and uh, trying to get him in church, and then they'd been in church. All of a sudden she said to him, said, well, I want to know if you've got a gospel choir. I thought, wait, a good news choir? No. And, and she was thinking certain sounds. She wanted certain sounds. I wonder, do you have a gospel? I said, well, I don't know how gospel the choir is, but they got a gospel preacher. <laughs> she didn't jump any pew on that, I'll tell you. 
I said, you come there, honey. We're going to tell you the truth. We're going to tell you good news. We're going to tell you about heaven, hell, sin, righteousness, being born again. Do you know what I mean? I'm straight on Christ. I'm straight on the Spirit, and I'm straight on the gospel. We may not figure out when Jesus is coming, but you better be straight on Christ. They're out to allure you and seduce you away from what I taught you about Christ, what I taught you about the Spirit. Every one of you children of God ought to sometimes just say, I can't believe it that I'm housing the Holy Spirit. I've got him all in there. He's the Father's down payment on the bride. And when you say, I don't know if I'm going to make it, well, what do you, what do you think's rattling around inside of you? It's the down payment. I've been spoken for. I've been purchased. I'm just waiting for the wedding day. I've got the Spirit in me. I'm not intimidated by my charismatic brothers that I love, that I act like them. That's why some of you are nervous. I can't help it because I, I picked up, I love the roots that I grew up with, but I don't want anyone to intimidate me about all that they're supposed how many visions, how many angels, or how many prophecies. Friend, I've got as much of the Spirit as you because God makes an equal down payment in all of his children. Can you imagine the Spirit that was wooing over the waters in Genesis woos in me? I know he's in there because I know when he's grieved. I know when he produces joy. He's in me. I'm the bride. And I'm trying not to be picked off before the wedding day. I think it's so scary in the Bible when he tells Ephesus, I don't know what's happened, but you lost it. Uh, you fell. You know, when God used this term of the marriage, on your own today, you ought to read, if you can take X-rated Bible, uh, read Ezekiel 16 and Hosea 2. It's graphic. It's lewd. It's horrendous. Ezekiel basically says, Israel, when I found you in the wilderness, I found you in your afterbirth. You were in your blood. The placenta was all around you. You were a little squirming little girl dying in the placenta sack and all the blood, and I picked you up. And I cleaned you. I salted you. They did that to their infants, protect them from infection. I picked you up, and uh, I dressed you. I cared for you. And something, using the analogy, I raised you, and by the time you got to puberty, and by the time your breasts developed, you became a beautiful, stunning young woman. And so I bought you fine clothes. I put oils on you, perfume on you. Oh, how I groomed you, Israel. And finally I said, she's come to the time for love. She'll be my wife. And you started sleeping with the gods of Egypt, the gods of Phoenicia, 
the gods of the Sidonians. You started sacrificing your children on the high places. You started sleeping with Molech. You started sleeping with this God. You, you said, you're good enough to save, but not good enough to love. And he said, oh, Israel, I'm going to divorce you. And he divorces them in Isaiah because you become my whoring wife. The strong language. You became a prostitute. You're selling your body. I thought you would give me your body. See the difference between a wife and a prostitute. She's selling what she ought to be giving if she could ever find somebody she loved. But because she hates men, and she said, I need a quick fix on drugs. I'll sell what you ought to get free if you found someone you loved. And God said, you're giving all your love and favors, all the high places. Israel, you're breaking the heart of your God. And he comes over here to the New Testament. Oh, church, there's so many people who come up to pray. They never got beyond coming to God because they're in trouble, and they seldom come because they love him. Would you serve God if he didn't do any more for you? So we're having the seducing voice. Oh, Ephesus, you've fallen away from your first love. You used to love me as an engaged couple, but now your relation. This is by 90 AD. We're going to be studying Ephesus in our home studies and then First Timothy, and it's all with the city of Ephesus. Laodicea, you've lost all burn. It's that literally the Greek word, the burn for me. You don't have the burn. It's people about church. We've made church hard. Oh, I don't know if I can make it. Why, why can't you make it? Well, you know, uh, football's starting up. Oh, oh, I, most of those guys died for you, right? Uh, those guys, uh, they just love you and your wife. Oh, they just with your kids. No, what idols, I ask you, what idol are you sleeping with? Is it money, time, pleasure? We all have an idol-producing factory. We don't call it idolatry, but Paul said, whatever you lust to have, and it comes from your eyes, from the flesh, and your pride, I got to have this house, this money, this relationship, whatever the this is, other than to find any fulfillment, God says you're being seduced. You're being seduced. It's not just doctrinal. It's loving devotion. It is so hard to sell Christ. It's so hard to make him look any better than he is. I hope you know him. I hope that you haven't strayed from him. We do. Talking with the, praying with the elders last night, Chuck shares, he said, I got saved at this place. An Oklahoma man led him to the Lord. But he said, I strayed for 10 years afterwards. Is that possible? Can you get saved and then stray for 10 years?
Yeah. My brother David got saved, had no one to really teach him, got in trouble, went back to old patterns, and God had to rescue him. How many of you have ever strayed? Why the voice, the lies, the bait? Come over here. Come over here. And, and that woman that catches the stupid young man in Proverbs, she dresses like a seducer. She looks like one. She talks like one. And guess what? He said, the man, even in the sexual orientation of Proverbs 5 and 7, says she slaughters him because her bedroom is the bed to hell. It's the bedroom to death. And it's the same with Satan as he lies to the bride. Come, come to me. Give up the Christ you've been taught. Give up the spirit you think you have. Give up the gospel you've heard. We're going to, uh, today I said I wanted to pray with people after the sermon, not to necessarily be saved, whatever. We usually have our prayer counselors and we pray. And then Annie's going to uh, take us to the throne. We're going to sing, It is well with my soul. I wonder, is it? Is it? It can be. But if you're being unfaithful to your bridegroom, I would repent of my idolatry. I would repent of whatever. That's between you and the Lord. I want a prayer counselors, deacons, and pastors. Stand here up in the front. Come. And we're going to stand. I want to pray for you. And uh, if you have a special prayer need, it may not be getting back to the Lord, but we're going to take this time to pray for you and to stand with you. We're all subject to temptation and the lying voice of Satan. So let me pray. Our Father, I pray, would you help us to be faithful to you? Help us not to be divided in our loyalty to Jesus Christ. We want to serve the Christ that rescued us, that died for us, that rose again for us. Oh, Spirit of God, we don't want you to be grieved. We want you to be feeling at home in us. We want you to fill us with your Spirit, fill us with the fruit of the Spirit. Let us use the gifts you put in each of us. Whatever that gifting is, may it be used to glorify our heavenly bridegroom. We want to be your people. We want to magnify and advertise our husband-to-be. We want to broadcast Christ. Oh, Father, if there's any here today that wants prayer for that might be being set up on the job, their home could be under threat, their Christian life, you know where they are, Lord. You know where they are. Let them know that the brothers and sisters, we want to stand with them and pray for them.